My, how the mighty have fallen. You've heard that expression before, haven't you? It's a, it's a phrase that actually originates from David lamenting over Jonathan's death in battle. We talked about that a week or so back in Second Samuel 1, 25 and 27. That phrase is there. Here's one of those. It's become an idiomatic phrase, hasn't it? One that, that, that comes up sometimes, and it's usually associated with somebody who falls from a social grace. Now, I've been telling you for the last couple of weeks, we're going to get to Bathsheba in today's the day. Now, I know that for some of you, this is going to be somewhat of an uncomfortable sermon today. Many of us, if not all of us, have been affected by marital infidelity, either yourself or a parent, maybe a grandparent, a sibling. It's just something that our society has that affects virtually all of our families. And I realize it's a touchy subject. As bad as infidelity is, I think David's sin has a much deeper root. One that, if we're honest, we can all wrestle with, even if we never commit adultery. You know this guy? This is Tiger Woods. One of the greatest golfers of all time. In fact, he may go down as the legendary golfer. And you know he's been on a comeback over the last several years. But you think about his life. He was an outstanding junior golfer, college golfer, and had a wonderful amateur golfing career. And he turned professional in 1996 at the age of 20. Eleven times he has been the PGA Player of the Year. He has won 82 PGA tournaments. Fifteen majors, including a Masters that he won in 1997, less than a year before he became a pro. And his last win at the Masters, you know when it was? It was that 2019 victory where the world cheered Tiger on. Three grand slams. He got his first green jacket in 1997. This picture right here, this is iconic. This is from 2008 when he won the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines and he was on top Of the world. And yet Tiger went the way of all flesh. In 2009, he lost his family. He lost his game. He lost his reputation. He even had a major health decline. Injuries overcame him. As 
news of his multiple moral failures became public. And amid that foray, there was one reporter that was talking to Tiger and asked this question. He, the question was, how could you have lied to so many for so long? King David was exceptional in so many ways. Brave, talented, and totally committed, sold out to God. As a young man, he knew exactly where his strength lay. Even in those early days of his rise to prominence, David knew that it was God that was fighting his battles, both with the Israel's enemies and with Saul. As he came to rule, God promised him that many years earlier. David was handed victory after victory over the Philistines and the Moabites and the Edomites and the Arameans. And in 2 Samuel 10, right before where we're going to be today in chapter 11, he's just had a good victory over the Ammonites. Have you ever wondered why so many who experience great success in life find it so hard to be fulfilled? What is it that happens to people when when they have everything in life and that's just handed to them? You know, some do use it for a springboard for themselves to get to some greater success. But a lot of people just get bored. And David found himself in that group. It was springtime, the time of the year where the kings went out to fight. In other words, Everybody started up their wars again because it was time to be outside. And the land needed protecting. And David, bored, abdicating his kingly responsibility, let Joab lead the armies and go out and fight. One night, out on his balcony overlooking the city, his eyes happened to fall on a woman, another man's wife, who was bathing in the moonlight. Now, you would think that a man who had seven wives and a growing number of concubines, and a deep abiding love for God would divert his eyes. Yet it's so easy to linger. Friends, when our eyes linger on that that we know is sinful, it becomes harder and harder to look away. Now, we got to be honest here, right? We know there's pleasure in sin. If there wasn't something we got out of it, 
we would never try to do it. I didn't ask for an amen, but I heard one. (laughs) Yes? So let's be honest. There is something you are seeking when you make the decision to step out of what you know is God's will for your life. There is something that draws you. Now with David, the first issue, he was abdicating his kingly responsibility. The second issue, he was bored. And in his idleness, he had, what's that saying? Idols, idle hands or, or what? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Oh, you, you grew up with my mama, huh? And the third, David turns to a servant and says, go get her for me. Nathan had been there from the beginning. The prophet actually saw David's rise from shepherding sheep to shepherding the nation of Israel. Nathan was a witness to David's deep faith in his reliance on God. And Nathan was there alongside David after all of the victories. And Nathan was there when David fell. Success can make us arrogant, make us think that we are we are self made and David thinks that he has he's gotten away with it and he's he's covered his tracks really well he let the Ammonites kill Uriah while he planned to marry Bathsheba before she was showing yet Nathan knew where David came from. And he used David's experience with sheep to get his attention. King David, Nathan began. I know two men, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a huge flock of sheep and a herd of cows. The poor man only had one little sheep And he loved that sheep like a family pet. No, like a daughter. One day a traveler came to the rich man's house and instead of feeding him from his flocks, the rich man went and stole the poor man's lamb and fed it to his guest. And David became unglued. Tell me his name, David said. Surely as the Lord lives, I will pay, that man will pay for the wrong he has done four times over. And Nathan looking to the eyes of David and said, You are the man. I 
I know I am not as tight with God as David was. I probably never will be. God had Samuel anoint David when he was still a teenager. How how do you suppose could someone who was handpicked by God, a courageous crusader, could crumble so quickly? After all, it was David who penned, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Let me ask you a question. When you think of the word fool, what what words come to mind? Just throw me a few. What words come to mind? Idiot. Okay, I I hear that one. Ignorant. The S word. Stupid, arrogant, blind. Yeah, yeah. All of those are perfect. They they do reflect the English word fool. The word David uses here in the Hebrew was the word Nabal. The word Nabal means morally deficient. In other words, a very good translation of this verse is the morally deficient say in their heart, there is no God. Let me ask you, does that strike you differently? What would you call someone who has tasted of God's forgiveness? who has had their sins washed away, who has been blessed to share in a relationship with their creator, and yet they live as though he doesn't exist? Or that he doesn't matter? What would you call them? David calls them a fool. Now, David prayed to God about that fateful night. In fact, we have two of the Psalms, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, are written both about David's transgressions with Bathsheba and his pleas to God. In Psalm 51, we read, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. You only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. And towards the end, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. David understood that forgiveness does not remove consequences. Consequences do not equal rejection, right? We talked about this last week. Consequences are the result of actions, not a test of grace. And you can be forgiven 
But that doesn't mean you will not have to deal with your mess. It does mean you won't have to face your mess alone. Having to deal with the consequences is not a good excuse for continued disobedience. It was only after David came to clarity and confessed his sins that he experienced peace. In Psalm 32 we read, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Have you ever asked yourself why God sent Nathan to David and really thought about it? I did some thinking on this, and I think in a very real sense, God sent Nathan to David because he wants to reconcile with David. In fact, there may be a Nathan in your life who's trying to get you to understand that God wants to reconcile with you. Is it painful? Yes, because I don't know about you, but the throne of my life is a comfortable seat, and I like being there. But God needs to be on that throne, and life is so much better when he is. When you feel convicted by what is spoken in this room, or when you're reading the Bible, or when you're praying. The purpose of that conviction is not to just trigger an emotion. It's to get us to reconcile with God. Hearing Nathan's words and realizing his secret without, David said, I have sinned. I love David for that. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't give a whole string of yeah buts. He's just like, I'm guilty. You're right. Confession brings relief, you know, because we get out of, get out from underneath the carrying of a dark secret. David knows what that's like. Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And yet there were still consequences to David's sin that he had to deal with. Over in 2 Samuel 12, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, 
the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt for the Lord. The son born to you will die. Bathsheba's firstborn of David died as an infant. Secret sin has consequences because if you really think about it, no sin is truly secret. Our sins as followers of God also affect the godless around us. You can actually lead somebody else to sin because they saw you in your life. Psalm 139, David says, Before my words are on my lips, you know them. See, David knew God was there on that balcony. David knew God was there in his bedchamber. He just lived as though it didn't matter that God was there. Friends, there's not a thought you or I have that is hidden from the Lord. Not a laugh or a lie or a fear or a sigh. That night with Bathsheba, David didn't think about Uriah or his children or his seven wives or the future. The only thing he could think of was the momentary thrill of satisfying his flesh with no thought of the repercussions. After all, he and God were tight. Somewhere in his mind, though, David convinced himself he could get away with it. What about you? Do you think you're any different from David? That God would simply overlook your sin because you sit here week after week? Friend, my saintly siblings, I just want to remind you that it is arrogant to think that we can abuse God's grace and get away with it. I want to pause here for just a moment. Would you pull out that uh, connection card if you haven't filled it out already? Everybody, I've got mine here. I'm going to fill mine out too. At least put your name down and your email. It helps us to maintain accuracy of our counts. I want to write my name down here real quick.
If you're a first-time guest, if you would uh, mark that, if you want to give us any more information, uh, we'd appreciate that for our first-time guests. There's a table out here with a red tablecloth on it. There are some gifts there for you. If you would take your card and place it in the basket on that table and uh, pick up uh, one of every gift that's there if you want. There's a coffee cup. There's a really good book on um, seeing Jesus through the lens of history, what can be known about him, not relying specifically on scriptures, but what was going on and what's been recorded in history from that day and time. And uh, there's also a a really nice, easy-to-read Bible there, New Testament, if you'd like that. On the back, there's a couple of things there. the memory verse and the reading this week pertain to this sermon. Uh, as you guys know, I'm not going to be here next week. Uh, you're going to have the blessing of Mr. Dunphy coming up and encouraging you from the word next week. Um, so please come for that. Uh, on the right-hand side, you want to talk about something that's been brought up today in your mind? You need somebody to talk to. You want to find out more about becoming a Christian, uh, about baptism. If you will mark that here, uh, I will. I will get those cards. Either I or somebody else will get a hold of you. Really would like for you to to have an opportunity to to come to the Lord if you haven't done that, or to get right with the Lord. And if we can help, we want to be able to do that. Also last week, I I mentioned that uh, the elders were talking about uh, going back to the traditional emblems for uh, communion. Didn't want to do that without getting your idea from that. We did have uh, a number of people last week that, that told us their opinion. If you have done that already, no need for you to do it again. Uh, But if you haven't, I want to make sure you have the opportunity to just tell us how you feel about it. Whether you'd like us to stay where we are using the individual uh, wrapped up cups and wafers. Or uh, if you would like to go back to the traditional emblems that we were using before COVID. Or perhaps maybe something in between. Maybe having both of them available in the same tray. But if you'd like to give us an opinion... Uh, please do that and realize if you don't give us your opinion, we're going to assume that you don't care, okay? That assumption will be made. So even a no, even no vote is still a vote, <laughs> okay? But if you would mark that, um, in a few minutes as we, we come into the closing song of the invitation time, if you would take that card and put it into the offering basket, would greatly appreciate that. Ultimately, when you stop to think about it, David's arrogance cost him his family. Cost him three sons. Cost him his reputation. Cost him his relationship with God, which would never, ever be the same. And it cost Uriah his family in his life.
what are your indulgences costing you? And is it truly worth it? The reporter waited for Tiger to answer his piercing question, how could you have lied to so many for so long? Tiger paused, and in a moment of uncharacteristic vulnerability, said, because I first lied to myself. What do you lie to yourself about? That you'll never get caught? Or about the fact that it was there in satisfying your own pleasure that you have laid your happiness? Friends, we all need the blood of Christ to cover our sin. We all need the Holy Spirit's guiding voice. And forgiveness can be only found when we are willing to confess our sins. When we are willing to give our life over to the one who has given his all to us. Being baptized into Christ, having those sins washed away, and calling on his name. Father God, we thank you that as we look in your word, we don't see characters of myths that are larger than life, that just have a fatal flaw, but it really doesn't matter. But what we see is we see real men and women with real struggles dealing with life. And all through the word, we can see your grace. And we thank you, Father, for that grace. And we thank you, Father, for this day. Guide us as you would have us go. And in Jesus' name we pray.